On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Along with Christmas time for my penis. <laughs> is, is every day not really Christmas <laughs> for your penis? Hi! Aren't you that guy everybody hates? No, man, no. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> Follow along on Twitter at Tall Can Audio or at Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. Just do it! We're off and running again for the final week before your, uh, I shouldn't speak too generally, uh, for those of you who are getting a Christmas holiday, we are now just days away from it, for those of you who aren't, sorry, uh, but welcome back to another Monday edition of the Talk and Audio Podcast. Matt over here, Rob way over there, what are you saying today, man? I'm saying it's uh, Omicron times, my friend, and we are we are separate once again. We are, we are not together. Yeah. Although I, I imagine it didn't take long for the good listener to figure all that out. Yeah. Well, we're doing our best here to uh, make it sound as good as we can. But you're right. We have uh, receded, at least for the time being, back into a, uh, a remote recording based on how things are going. And uh, it is what it is. You know, we'll we'll sort of do our part here and we'll also do our, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to keep the... I don't think it's going to help much keep the numbers down, but also just in terms of maybe salvaging our own Christmas, we'll uh, we'll do uh, a couple of these online and, and see where things go. And I will tell the good listener that pretty much, well, not pretty much everything you hear from now until New Year's Eve will be uh, will be remote, and uh, we'll just see where things are are going to go. And yeah, it's as much as you know, doing our part. It's as much just trying to protect our own holidays yep. I, I don't know what you're walking around with you don't know what i'm walking around with and you know it well, sucks. I, I got a pretty good idea though it burns when i pee <laughs> <laughs> oh that probably wasn't going to become an issue here in the studio yeah. had you come in but Too other close, than man. hearing Too close. me in the bathroom <laughs> ah yeah exactly and that's if, if you need bleach and a wire brush for it <laughs> that's right. it's a it's a problem we're on Twitter and Instagram at All Can Audio. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. Got another guest for you, man. Got uh, a good guest coming this week. Also in the World Junior vein. Uh, friend of the show, guy's been on a couple times. Paul Romanuk is going to be uh, back on the podcast on Wednesday morning. That's a guy who sort of carried the ball for TSN as this thing was sort of, and you probably have a better memory of some of the you know early 90s ones the it's sort of mid to late 90s where i really started to get into the term but he called all those right right up the drive for five is alive pretty much yeah man everything after john slaney right i remember as being paul romanuk and gary green or uh uh, as it kind of moved through before gord miller took over i think in 01 um paul sent me some dates and stuff uh 
so that we'll be able to discuss that and, and which ones he called. But in that kind of transition period, as it was going from this kind of even quaint would be underselling it. It was big in the nineties, oh. but it, it was, it grew through that time period. Eh? I think it's all, it's all your, your Chris Phillips, Wade Redden led <laughs> team Canada's in the mid nineties. Right. <laughs> um, so look for that. Anyway, Paul Romanuk will be back on, uh, he's been on a couple of times. Most recently though, was uh, last year. Uh, if you'll recall the, uh, we did a Christmas day episode of the podcast, spoke to, Basically, everyone who had given oh, the yes. podcast uh, the time of day, um, just about their kind of Christmas tradition, stuff like that. That was the last time Paul was on, but uh, spoke to him last week. He said he was willing to come back, and we are into World Junior season. And then we get into the big one, man, the main event on uh, on Friday morning, Christmas Eve. You and I will hit the annual Tall Can Audio Christmas Eve Spectacular World Ooh. Junior Preview Show. Uh, also, we should lay out uh, Monday morning, December 27th, the return of the Brew Marshall Awards, the second annual uh, a lot of you will remember last year we got questions leading up to it as to whether or not we would be doing it again. We are doing it again. Uh, the Brewmarsh Awards with Michaela Schreider and Chris Hoffley returning to the podcast. And uh, we'll take a look back at the Canadian Athlete of the Year as determined by craft beer drinkers. And really all that means is an excuse to sit around, have a couple of pints, and just, uh, you know, look back on the year that was for Canadian athletes and Canadian sports. And we have added an extra category or two this year, including Canadian Craft Beer of the Year and Canadian Craft Brewery of the Year. Uh, each of us will bring one of those to the table as well. So uh, some extra stuff as we get into, like I said, just a nice time to kind of look back at the year that was uh, for Canadian sports and Canadian athletes. That'll be uh, Monday, December 27th. And this year's New Year's Eve show, the TCA New Year's Eve Spectacular, will be co-hosted this year by your boy, Maddie Lang. We've been getting tons of feedback over the course of the year, especially since audio whiplash has sort of faded into the background, that maybe we're not talking enough about non-sports stuff. So Maddie and I, over uh, it's New Year's Eve, we're obviously going to have a couple of craft beers as well and, and talk about some of our favorite pints of the year. But we will look at some of the biggest stories outside of sports over the last calendar year to get you set for uh, for your New Year's Eve. Um, be a lot of fun. Maddie's been on a few times, and uh, one of the guys that we were able to uh, get an in person show with in before the world started to collapse again um, back over the summer. We did that up at the lake and got great feedback on that as well. So Maddie Lang will be part of this year's TCA New Year's Eve spectacular, looking back at all the top stories outside of sports in the year 2021. So stick around for those. Love it. And um, I don't know, man, you've always sort of been the Scrooge of the uh, of the podcast, but we are now into the Christmas week. Are you, I assume you're now tolerating, although it's long since worn out, it's welcome for you. You're now probably willing to tolerate the Christmas music. Has the, has the spirit bitch yet or is, is the world just too fucked up to care? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I, I have, um, and clearly as you will understand and all the good listeners will understand how technically challenged I am. Um, I have made the switch in the past year from Google music slash YouTube music. I ditched that and I went full on Spotify. Okay. So I had over the past eight years compiled a bunch of different playlists. Oh, yada, the start yada. over sucks. Yeah. Including my Christmas playlist. Right. And right. so, um, yeah, hammer and tong. I had to go at that on Saturday <laughs> trying to put up my Spotify uh, playlist, which really fairly simple. Well, what's on it? Give us a couple of tunes. 
Uh, I got a, I got a blend of as as I am of the tradition and traditional sort of your Bing and some Elvis and some Nat King Cole mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with with some of my some of my other favorites like um, it's Bruce, Bruce, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Christmas All Over by Tom Petty, right? Right. These sorts of things. Two, oh, I've 2000, Christmas All Over myself. Yeah, Two Thousand Miles by the Pretenders. Uh, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home by U two. Mm. You know. Uh, and of course, a little wham, all of, you know, uh, last Christmas, you know, yeah. just, it's a little blend of uh, a little TSO, you know, just, it's about three hours worth of tunes okay, yeah. that I compiled, but it's so, again, little, little classic, little not so classic, uh, 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 underrated, under the radar sort of non-classic tune is Christmas Rap by the Waitresses. Yeah, not familiar. You would know it. It's the Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and then the horns come in. Merry Christmas. Anyways, you'll you will hear that again somewhere. I'm almost positive, but that's that's another that's another class. How about how about Oi to the World by the Vandals? That was no doubt. Hmm. The, the version I know was by no doubt. Okay, well, the, I believe they would be then be covering the Vandals, who. Uh, okay would be my guess because obviously no doubt before Gwen went on to become a huge star, they had a little bit of a yeah. punk thing happening yeah, there. A little briefly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the Vandals put out a Christmas album that that was the, the big single from along with Christmas time for my penis, which uh, I believe we played on the podcast. It's <laughs> 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 is every day. Not really Christmas <laughs> for your penis. Um, all right, ma'am. Well, it seems like you're ready to embrace the season a little bit anyway. Although, although, if I can hit you with another thing that really is irritating me a bunch of, amongst sure. a bunch of other things, uh, when I started out down this 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 avenue of trying to compile something, uh, an absolute tradition in this house on Christmas morning is to play Tchaikovsky's "The Nutcracker Suite." Okay, right? Yeah. But as Hard it pass, uh, are you familiar with it though? Yes, but I am okay. an uncultured uh, swan. Okay, so. yeah, yeah, no problems. Yeah. Um, but to find it in its in its actual flow, right from the overture all the way down to the final waltz. I'm right? sure I've never sat and listened to it start to finish. Well, and so it's got all the. Anyways, to me, you can find a bunch of different versions of it, but none of them are in order. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna have to sit down over the next five days because that's got to happen here, <laughs> and it falls to Rob. So. Rob's the go-to tech guy, eh? The, uh, well, it's really... Um, you got to hand left- that off to the younger generation, I it's, think. It's man. too left-handed. Well, Rob refuses to... Defer. In or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, it'll happen. Yeah. It'll happen here. Because, you know, it's one of those things where if you want it done right... Yes. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, you know, uh, let me just ask you this, because uh, we probably won't have time for it on the uh, Christmas Eve World Junior Show. One... And maybe he's didn't have many, maybe he's did, maybe it was unintentional, but became a tradition. Something from your childhood, a Christmas tradition you hated, that you absolutely, are we fucking doing this again, for real? Oh, I have, uh, to me, it's, it's, ab- it's gotta be the, the mistletoe. <laughs> my, my mom would put up the mistletoe when we were, when we were young, especially. Mm-hmm. In this door jam by the by the front door of the house, sort of leading into the living room. Right. You're like, are you kidding me, mom? <laughs> Beat it with the mistletoe. It's like it's <laughs> creepy and weird, man. I don't know. It's like, so. Um, 
that's really a, the only thing that that really stuck with me. We didn't have a pile of things that I that I hated. Although when you get to be in your teenage years, you sort of it's people. Sure. You really don't want to deal too much with anybody. Not everything's uncool, right? When you're a teenager. Yeah, and you tolerate a bunch of stuff. <laughs> or you don't. Yeah, well, this is it. Why do you have that face that looks like you just sucked on a lemon? <laughs> See, I made that more PG. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, for me, I don't know exactly where this started, man, because it didn't happen when we were kids. And then all of a sudden it was a thing that stuck around for a very long time. But on Christmas Eve, after everything was sort of done and, you know, and everyone was sort of off in their own rooms doing last minute rapping and, and stuff like that. But towards the end of the night, this probably started when I was maybe 12 or 13. Mom would put on uh, the Little House on the Prairie Christmas special. And it is the most sad. Well, I guess, you know, there's a lot of sad, like it's a wonderful life and this sort of shit. Like, for some reason, a lot of Christmas movies are sad. Um, this was, you know, the, the, it ends up, everybody's trying to do nice for each other, but it falls apart and the gifts overlap and they've spent their last dollar on whatever and it was this horribly sad thing but the part that was annoying was it became a tradition but like i sort of would have understood if like every year i could remember through my childhood we watched this christmas but it just sort of arrived out of nowhere when i was 13 like no this is what we do now i was like but like, (laughs) that's how new traditions are right i guess and it stuck around for a long time and it still happens some years now it doesn't um, my sister and I kind of moan about it and, and so it, it gets, whatever. but I, I'm less, as I sort of said, as a teenager, everything's uncool. I don't want to do this. I'm less annoyed by it now than I was back then, but I am still sort of like, it, it seems like it kind of arrived kind of arbitrarily. And the, the other one I would say growing up all the time, uh, mom wanted to take a picture of my sister, uh, my two sisters and I in front of the tree on Christmas day. And again, as teenagers, you're like you're probably in your pajamas and as you got less uh, into your later years of teenagers, your early 20s, now you're probably also hungover and and it hasn't stopped. We're all in our mid-30s now. Some of us, you would have to now categorize late 30s and uh, approaching. Sat- she still, she wants that picture, man, the, the three of us. And it, like, I can remember when my mom was my age, right? Like I'm old enough now that, that I can remember when she was in her late thirties and she didn't have to go stand with her siblings somewhere and have some picture taken. And yet here we are, man. It's, but it's, she was probably exposed to some other thing that she was irritated by. Yeah. Although if you had kids, it's hard to, it's easier to give your parents the Heisman. Once you have your own kids, you're like, that's probably, it. yeah. Yeah. But we're counting got, on my sister to make that happen. I, I, yeah. I will tell a story just quickly that there was a year, um, it's always been well, well known in our family that my youngest sister is the favorite and, uh, my middle sister, like the middle child, uh, was always far more sensitive to it than I was, right? The middle child is always the one who says they get ignored and forgotten. Hello. Yes. Exactly. That's me and my family. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she would always notice whenever something happened to the youngest sister, like beneficial, or there was one more gift under the tree for, or little stupid things like that. And then there was a year after my middle sister had a couple kids. She is still the only one, you know, of the the kids who has had kids of her own. And my youngest sister goes over and she's asking my mom something. She asked two or three times and my mom is doing something for now her granddaughter and tells her, yeah, fine. I'll get to it later. Just go sit down or something. 
So she comes over and she sits down on the couch between me and my other sister. And like I said, the middle child looks at her and just like in the most serious deadpan way goes, how does it feel? <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. This is we're now grown adults and she is loving the fact that the baby is uh the baby on uh, uh, you know in our family is being put in her place in favor of the grandkids. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the only reason Kate had kids. Yeah, was hoping to take the spot knock Samantha off the pedestal. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's, how's that, eh? It's a little <laughs> it's a little cold in the shadow, eh? <laughs> For sure. Uh, we're a bit into this. I can't believe I haven't asked you. What are you sipping on today, man? Is it the same thing I am? No, I'm leaving that for you. I will sip on that during this show, but um, I thought I would leave that to you. I've, I've gone back to our good friends at Storm State Brewing. Okay. Drinking their patina. patina. But it's a, yeah, which I, I, for some reason, thought it was going to be a, an Italian pilsner, but no, it's an Irish red. Um, and it's funny. It says right on the can. Highly sessionable. Hmm. And okay, I thought, okay, so it's going to be a low alcohol, right? It's going to be, but it's 5.4. So to me, everybody's getting fast and loose with the, what they deem to be sessionable. Yep. Um, but it's sessionable, certainly in terms of its smooth and easy drinking. Right. Right. To me, it's, um, yeah, for a red, there's not a lot of sort of bite to it at all. But it is, it's smooth with a very subtle bitter finish, right? It's got a little, a little bit of caramel, I would suggest, but man, it's, it's, it's a nice drink. Now, the sad part is, again, it comes in the small, the 355, which I am not down with because I'm really beyond half finished this beer already. We haven't really even got into the meat of the pod. Yeah. But this is, um, it's pretty good. I've been happy with both things I've tried from Storm State, which I believe was out of London. Yep. Um, yeah, pretty nice. But get in the big boy can. Do that. Uh, I am into, what the hell, day, day 19, I guess. Correct. Of the uh, the beer calendar here. And um, we are pulling from the Common Good Brewing Company out of Scarborough or Scarberia, yeah, had, as it's well known. In the, we've had a bunch of that over the over the years on the show, but not this. No, this is called the, uh, the Solace. Solace. Which maybe we all need a little bit of in for the, sure. This week, man. Uh, this is the Solace. They're calling it East Coast IPA or Eastern IPA. When you yeah, look East it up Coast. as a, yep. they're not they're not willing to call it a full Northeast IPA. It's not a NEPA. It's an East Coast IPA. So whatever. I guess we're. we're I don't know. It it's fine. It's apricot. It's whatever. But if you remember, I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, it was like, hey, this is a good week. A couple of brown ales, a stout, a, uh, whatever. it was a dark week. At this point, I feel like I'm on the parade of, of IPAs or fruity pilsners or I don't, it, I was, again, it's nothing to do with the beer or the brewery. It's the calendar formatting that I'm like, come on, like this has got to be the fourth or fifth day like this in a row. Um, so the beer's fine. It says six, 6.8%. Uh, it's just got a little apricot to it. Um, you know, it's, it's fruity, I guess, as you'd expect out of an East coast IPA, but, uh, I don't know. I'm feeling a little beat over the head with the style at this point. Yeah. Well, so you've already had a couple polls on that, so yeah. you're good to go. Um, yeah. Whenever it says hints of stone fruit, yeah. like, stone fruit, like, is that stone, like a fruit with a pit? Is that what we're talking about here? Like a peach, like a nectarine, 
Like what it does are, say peach and apricot. So yeah, okay. So there you go. Yeah. If it, but I, I've heard that be before. Cast like, like a stone. Like stone fruit. I don't know, man. It seems. But yeah, East Coast India Pale Ale, and so um, yeah, I'm gonna have that in a bit. So uh, yeah, you're right though. It, it it is this idea, and and so brother-in-law and younger brother are are sort of in my little loop of of people who were chatting on a you know mm-hmm. sort of daily basis saying hey what do you think of that and and it is that my younger brother this is his first crack at it and so the calendar yeah yeah he likes a he does like a um a, 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 a new england style and so um he's found some of it very good mm-hmm. but but again, it's the idea of the calendar is whether you loved or hated the five paddles thing. Right. Every year, five paddles puts in something interesting. Yep. Right. Where you go, wow, that is, that is interesting. This I year lo- it was I the love- citrus smoothie. Right. And so I didn't really love it. I don't, I, I didn't don't, either. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do another smoothie, but it's probably the first beer smoothie that I've had. Right. I can and, remember and, putting on our social media that we like, this isn't for me. But happy they're still experimenting. I'll be back around. Like this hasn't turned me off the brewery. It's well, just sure. it's just this wasn't for me, right? And, and in fact, it's actually made me want to really check out what they got. Cause when you went through it on on the Untapped app, man, they have got a pile of stuff yeah. through the years, right? In terms of what they've brewed. So um, yeah, more than anything, and, and it and it was it was it tasted well done. It wasn't a like there was a beer from, and I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw one of the Cartwright Springs yep. last year. It was probably one of the first beers that I poured out. It was so bad. They're stout. Right. Um, this was not like that. And so this year, I think everything's been good in, in the calendar. Yep. Uh, somebody earlier this week, there was a double dry hopped. It was called double dose. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't, it was a well done beer. Uh, maybe it was from Weatherhead, perhaps. Anyways, it doesn't matter who brewed it. I don't like a double dry hopped. All right. It's it's. I've known enough. I've had enough over the years where it's it's a little too bitter for me. That it's not an enjoyable pint. I drank the entire thing, mm-hmm. but that is that is not anything against the brewery. That's just against the style of beer. I am not a double dry hopped guy. And yeah, I think my issue so far has been as much as anything, and and I'll let them know. But uh, the curation. We shouldn't hit five out of six days in one week being dark beers. And then the next week, kind of four or five out of six or seven days being, let's mix it up here a little bit, right? Let's keep it interesting. Let's, uh, I don't know. The the one on Saturday, I believe was the fruit Pilsner and it was down at like a 3.8% and it's coming on the heels of a couple of. Yeah. But that was the, from Etienne Brulee. Yes. Out of Ambre. I didn't mind that actually, right? It was that all right. Was, it was just, it felt like it was coming on the heels. It was enough too similar, right? Like, I, yeah, that's all. Yeah. That's all. Well, and you are, you are a card carrying member of the, uh, of the dark beer mm-hmm. nation, right? So it's too much of, too much of the, of the IPAs in the pills. Don't you think if you were the opposite, you'd have felt the same way about the previous week? Like, all right, we get it. Like there was two stouts and a brown and a Schwarz beer. And a, yeah. Well, I don't care about them. Sorry. <laughs> Because so. because I am I'm I'm fine with whatever, but I also lean I lean towards the you know black loggers, porters, stouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've enjoyed a couple of that week. Also had a couple of um, there was an English English bitter. Yep. Um, 
also quite nice. So yeah, I, that is that is my preferred style of beer drinking as well. But hey, man, I'm really. Um, but yeah, if don't don't just give us your hey, this is our newest IPA, which it seems to be what everybody yeah, wants to do. That's right. Uh, let's start here, man, because I, I know there's nothing more that you enjoy than talking little hoops. And uh, I got two things to hit you with quickly. W- or one here, just before we get into the the meat of the basketball conversation, we're going to talk about some stuff going on uh, around the hockey world. We will, of course, get to that. But beforehand, this week marks the 17th anniversary of basketball. 2004? Yep. <laughs> I got no idea, man. Vince Carter traded from the Toronto Raptors for uh, Aaron Williams, Eric Williams, Alonzo Mourning, and two first-round picks that turn into nothing. Of course, Alonzo Mourning also goes, fuck you, I'm not going to Toronto. And uh, his best days were obviously already behind him, but that did not do the franchise any favors. And um, Rob Babcock, who was the rookie GM at the, that point, um, you know, probably should have done a little further investigating before pulling the trigger on that deal that the guy would actually come because not only did your trade then fall apart, but also your franchise is left looking, you know, another star is going, I'm not fucking going there. And it really did set them back for a while, but the deal itself set them back having Vince Carter. He's already not having a great year. He's battled through injuries and you know, he's being an asshole with the way he's going. I'm not dunking. There's that interview that comes out a couple months later after he's been traded that depending on how you wanted to read it, no one gave him the benefit of the doubt at the time, but said, you know, that he basically wasn't giving his all anymore or a hundred percent. And I think in hindsight, what he meant from that interview was in the off season, he hadn't done as much to prepare as maybe he could have and, and things like that. As time has gone on, Vince Carter went like 15 years getting booed every single time he would return to Toronto. And for a long time, I was fine with that. And then the hip thing to do became to, to say, ah, he was so great for the franchise. Stop booing. Don't do that. And it sort of after uh, Kawhi arrived and the team won, I think everybody chilled out a little bit and we started to reevaluate. And I just want to sort of get your take on... Um, what you think his legacy is here. Because after Kawhi, we started talking about number retirements, right? We started talking about who's going to be the first Raptor to get a statue out there if if it's not going to be Maasai. Um, you know, there is a whole row of Leafs along the Legends row there outside the arena. And I think there is a case to be made for the things that Carter did. But I also don't think you have to just get over it. The guy did sort of quit on you and he... he he was sort of dogging it on you at the end. I don't think you have to just forgive him. I, I do think it sort of ran its course in terms of booing him all the time, but I, I don't think you have to just get over it and go, no, retire that guy's number first or give that guy a statue. I just wonder what you think his legacy in Toronto is and whether fans are reasonable to still go, ah, nah, fuck that guy. That's, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I am not even a casual basketball fan, right? Like, uh, I couldn't have cared less when they won the NBA championship. Uh, I, I just as soon see them win it as not, but <laughs> it, it certainly would not have made a difference in my day one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the impression that, that Vince left on Canadian basketball, but specifically in the GTA, you can't deny. Nope. And you can't overlook at, at what a huge, in, in, in his heyday and at the zenith of his of his 
Raptors career, how, how bright that star was. Right. And how talented he was. And, and he brought that whole Air Canada thing, right? He brought eyes to, to Toronto. And, and I think you, that's where, you know, basketball minds far, far greater than mine, right? Really look to in terms of, of the burst that has led to, you know, your Jamal Wiggins Murray's and RJ Barrett's and, and RJ yeah. Exactly. Right. That, that is, that is the genesis of that. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I always found the Kawhi talk to be sort of, ah, I get it, man. It was a, it was a, a flash so bright that one year and that and it obviously brought the ultimate in a championship, but you can't deny what, what Vince did in his, in his, in his career here and, and how it ended is, but time heals all right. And I think it seems to like he has received applause in his last couple of years. Now he's just an old vet hanging on. He's a bench player for different teams as they come in and he does get a warm welcome or he did in his last couple of years. But I, I do think it tarnished his reputation a bit. There's no oh, denying, course, right, that the the impact that he had and the what it did for Canadian basketball. And you absolutely cannot overlook that. But I don't I, like you said, I, basketball is a little ways down my list of of preferred sports. But I don't really, I don't hold it against anybody if if you're still going. No, I don't. Like I, I'm fine with people who would much rather see. A guy who, in terms of highlight real things and putting the Raptors on the map, like a guy like Kyle Lowry, I'm totally fine if fans are going, no, that's a guy who stuck with this franchise, who won something with this franchise, who you could tell battled for this franchise. I want that guy's number retired long before I ever get to to Vince. I don't think you have to hate Vince still to go, yeah, but you still did this thing and there's a penalty for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to me, yeah, Kyle... Was never was never the player Vince was. Nope, no. And so, and, but there's a relationship there. I I know. And prior to Kawhi showing up, there was a lot of dirt getting slung at Kyle Lowry, mm-hmm. right? Like he was a he was a no show at, at big times, right? And even in the year they won, he had zero points in one of those games early in the year. Yep. People were like, "Oh my God, look at that guy!" Right? And mm-hmm. and then they traded away DeRozan. And they're like, "You left us with the less talented of the two. And <laughs> and, and so. He's one of those guys who through a little injury, through a little hustle, through a little grind, right? Through a little we, winning. <laughs> we, well, but, but I'm saying, yeah, but winning behind Kawhi. Yep. Oh, right? I know. And, but now everyone on that roster is part of yeah. the championship. Yeah, yeah, team, yeah, so yeah. And, and again, and, and again, there's there, there's hardcore basketball fans and Raptor fans who are like, you don't know shit. And I'm like, yeah, true, man. That's absolutely <laughs> true. This is less than casual basketball fan. Yeah, but I'm not asking you to break down his performance. As no, no, as I, I, I know you're not. And I'm just saying, but to me, I find that whole, you know, talk of, of re- retire Kyle's jersey first or build the statue, whatever. I, to me, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? I say, I say retire Tracy McGrady first. <laughs> <laughs> Mighty Mouse, get him up there, man. Let's yeah, we're Stoudemire for <laughs> yeah. sure, man. Do that. <laughs> Uh, bigger news in the NBA this week than uh, a random 17 year, year anniversary of a trade. Uh, Karai, Karai, Kyrie Irving um, gets the call from the Brooklyn Nets to, why don't you come back and help us out? And, and we'll get to the ironic thing that ends up happening immediately afterwards. But on Friday, um, your top NBA reporters start telling us that, uh, yeah, he's going to return. Uh, to the Brooklyn Nets as a part-time player. And just to set the table here a little bit, uh, Kyrie is a guy who 
not just is unvaccinated, but is super passionately and publicly unvaccinated, right? Not afraid to shy away from an interview or an Instagram live stream to say all the reasons that he's not doing it. And so when they show up to training camp this year for Brooklyn Nets, uh, for the Nets season, we're sort of getting into the the meat of, yeah, most people should have been vaccinated by now. And, and most of his team, the rest of his team is. And the city of New York says to work in New York City, you have to be fully vaccinated. Well, guess where Brooklyn is a part of? And he goes, no, I'm not doing it. Now, in theory, he could still play road games in most cities uh, across the NBA. But the Nets say to him, get lost. We're not dealing with this. We're not having somebody who's here half the time and who's unvaccinated, whatever. The rest of the team seems to be annoyed. They interview Kevin Durant a few times about this at camp. And he's like, I'm done talking about this guy. He's not here. He's not going to be part of the team. I'm focused on the guys who are part of the team. So they start their season. They get off to a great start. They're 21 and eight on Friday when this happens, but they are ravaged with injuries and COVID like most of North American pro sport at this point. And they've just wrapped up a game where they have played with the league minimum eight guys and Kevin Durant playing on a recently popped Achilles, right? Like you're not sure how much you want to ride this guy. He's playing 48 minutes a night. They play another game with only nine guys and all of a sudden they reach out to Kyrie and say, all right, you're in for road games because most of the league he could still play and uh, he can't play against the Knicks. He can't play his 41 home games, can't come into Canada and play the Raptors. I believe Philadelphia recently introduced a measure that said he probably can't play there because, again, you're going to have to be vaccinated. To It's a workplace thing. It's not an NBA thing. Um, and... Golden State. I think also. Golden State. Yeah, I'm not sure about the rest of California. It might be a city ordinance there more than a state right. one. Like, I, I think he can play the Lakers and Clippers, but I'm not sure about that. So there's still going to be a bunch of, you know, you can play here, you can't play here. But what do you think of, it? it to me, it's kind of the tale, a tale old as time, man, that we're fine. We don't need you. We're good without you. And then thing gets when things get tough, and again, they're first in the East at 21 and eight. Things haven't gotten that tough yet. But now you go, all right, why don't you come on back? What did you, what did you make of the story? It's a, it's an absolute clown move, bro. <laughs> like this, you're talking about, and, and I don't care whatever side of the argument you come down on vaccinated, not vaccinated, my yeah. civil rights, whatever. I don't care which side you come down on this. The Nets made a stand. And it was admirable. Sure. You're like, hey, man. You're part of this it, or you're not. You need to do this. Yep. You don't want to do it. Fine. That's your decision. You take your 30 plus million. Mm -hmm. Beat it. We're not having you here half time. We're not having you here. We don't have any guys who are only committed part time to the process. Right. And you're like, yes, guy. Right. And then Whoops. they're like, yeah, we got, we got Durant and we got Harding and we, we're going to do this. Yep. And then Harding's been super underwhelming. He's not been good. And so Durant gets injured. You have other injuries. You got COVID. And, and even when Durant was healthy, like you don't want that guy playing 48 minutes. No, <laughs> but, but again, so all those, all the, all the sort of the high fives and the backslaps you get from making the right call early yeah. on. And it's, and again, I don't care what your stance is. This is you the folded. law. Yep. And then, so you have said, yeah, man, sorry, you were an all-star quality player. Yep. 
but you have not, you know, fulfilled all the needs we need for you to be as an employee. Bam, you're out. And it, as you said, that's, that's city law, not a team rule or a league rule. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then you, and then you now come back and cave when things get a little interesting. Yeah. Like you've really, you gotta, you gotta think in, in the, in the, the best case scenario for, for Kyrie, he's like, yeah, all right, you're going to need me. Yep. And I'm going to stick to my guns and we'll see who caves first. Yep. And now you're bringing in a guy for part-time play who, who can't play at home. Like I just, wow. And the funny thing is the thing that has them in this situation is out of their control. It's the COVID explosion, right? We're seeing the Omicron thing. It's, it's everywhere across North America. Well, across the world. And the ironic thing is you reach out to the unvaccinated guy to come save your season. This is I, no one. I, I assume no one is going to publicly come out and claim this. This is a win for Kyrie. Kyrie nice. called their bluff and they folded. Yep. And I don't agree with obviously Kyrie not being vaccinated. This is part of the, but they, I can't imagine he was sitting there every night calling them saying, and obviously he wasn't right. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to come back. I'll get the jab. Nope. Nope. Things got bad. They came to him and said, all right, that thing we said we didn't want you to do and weren't going to allow, we want you to do, and we're going to allow you can play. 35% of our games this year or whatever it's going to be. Now, there is still a loss for him. He's taking a penalty on his paycheck, right? Because he can't play the 41 home games. He can't play the Knicks also in New York City. He can't play Toronto. His call. Right, but he was going to get none, and now he's getting 35% or whatever it's going to be, right? Uh, man, this is... He beat them. He he stared them down and said... and Like I said, I don't agree with the stand that he has taken, but I do respect... No, I'm not moving. This is who I am. This is what I think. I'm not changing that. And they blinked. They went, yeah, all right, we need you, man. Come on back. We need, we, I, I wonder if Kyrie's not the type of guy who made the GM say that on the phone, please. We need you. And now what happens? There's this now, of course, basically the second he steps out the front door of his house, he tests positive and ends up in protocol. So, so much for that whole thing. He will get to play, but he is currently in protocol, um, for COVID and uh, so we don't know how long he's going to miss. But at some point, he's going to return to the practice facility, which he is allowed to be a part of in New York. That's deemed a private facility. So I guess he's allowed to practice with the team. He's just not allowed to play in New York City. I don't understand how all that works, but whatever. But at some point, he's going to face the media and they're going to ask him, you know, how do you feel about having held your ground? And what do you think about them asking you to come back and play? And if he wants to, and it's not like he hasn't done it before. He can fucking bury them and there's nothing they can do about it. Like you can have your PR guy go, come, you know, we'd really like it if you would just say happy to be back with whatever. You called me, man. Like he can fucking bury them if he wants to. Yeah. And, and he becomes, no bones about it, he becomes a hero to a segment of the population yep. that looks at him and says, see, see, stood up to the big bully. Yep. And little guy wins, even though that little guy makes, as I said, <laughs> a, a gajillion dollars a year and has up until this point. It's it's not like there's any, you know, sale days for Kyrie. Right. right? And, and so he and his extended family who continue to talk on his behalf, right, have profited from, from his skills. Yeah. Right. And in a free market, good for you. But yep. at this point, it's not like he's making a stand saying, I'm doing a hunger strike. I'm doing whatever. No. 
I'm sitting on my past million saying, forget it. And you cave and you did. Yep. Yep. Garbage. <laughs> so. It's gross. And just for the record, I am getting I am getting either apricot or peach out of this big time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to me, it's a, it's more the apricot, but yeah, there is something uh, happening there for sure. I, it was just interesting to me. Like I said, irony, think whatever you want. The fact that the second the guy tries to step back into the league, he tests positive yeah. and ends up in protocol. So we'll see where that all ends up. It's not, uh, to me, I wonder what the final, where this comes from. Did this come down from ownership? to the team and go, I'm paying this guy or I'm supposed to have this guy at my, you're 21 and eight. You are first in the East. That's not, I get that you don't necessarily want to be blowing out, you know, um, Durant's Achilles again or, or whatever. And Harden's been terrible, right? The, I don't know how that happened. He's fallen off a cliff, but yeah, to, to just have this out of nowhere, be like, nah, fuck it, bring him back when you're still comfortably first in the East is, Man, you wonder how they're going to feel when, if you ever f- see any real, and what happens in the playoffs, right? Did you get you, I, someone raised a great point on Twitter. What is home court advantage? If, if Brooklyn finishes first, which it sure looks like they could, and they're now going to play more games at home where this guy can't play versus potentially an opponent in a state where he can you know, are you at a, you'd prefer to have more games on the road with this guy in your lineup. It, things get weird in a hurry, man. Is this guy tradable? I, I guess. I, he's got a bit of a checkered. For sure he does. <laughs> but I'm just saying, are you at a point, if you're if you're Brooklyn, that you could trade this guy? I think if you didn't at camp, right? If you, like, you've let him sit out and now you've brought him back. Yeah, and he's, and he's, Probably hanging out in track pants. Like, I'm sure they looked around. Now, everything I've read about Kyrie, despite his personality, all these things, is he does take his game very seriously. He does work hard. We'll see what kind of shape he's going to roll back in here and what he's going to look like. But I, you have to assume back at training camp, they looked at trades to places where he was going to be allowed to play. You know, probably a Houston Rockets or a... Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was <laughs> So maybe somewhere in Florida. Miami. Yeah, so... Man, we're on the same wavelength. Now. Yeah, they looked around, I'm sure. Um, now that you've allowed them to come back, I, I don't know if it helps or hurts <laughs> your leverage or whatever, but I see what you're saying. Like, it is weird, though, to think that you may have, you know, three home games or four home games in a seven-game series where he can't play and three road games where he can and being like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. No, it's and it's it's to me it's 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 terrible right across the board on everybody's part. What'd you make of uh, Friday's announcement? Kind of out of nowhere from uh, Paul Maurice, his press conference that he was resigning from the Winnipeg Jets. Um, he said that this has been on his mind a bit. It's something he had discussed with uh, President Mark Shipman and GM Kevin Dayoff over the summer that. Maybe the team was ready for a new voice. Maybe it was time to move along, and they decided to give it a little longer. The Jets have been up and down, got off to a pretty decent start, then sputtered a bit. That like there's some pieces there, uh, but it was, I, I it, was, it was the opposite. They sputtered out of the gate, then then hit a nice that's right smooth streak, and then and he said it himself, right? They've been super inconsistent. Yeah. And, you know, he's sort of said, and it's not, in, you know, when you talk about coaching, it, it's not incorrect to say, you know, that you, you have some stuff in your playbook, right? And the first couple times you hit 
button one, you get the big reaction out of it. And then the next time you need to do it, you hit button two and you get the big reaction. But the more times you have to keep circling back and hitting those buttons, the less reaction there is to it because everybody's seen it before. And so he's been there eight or nine years now, uh, eight years, I guess. He was the second longest serving coach left in the league behind John uh, John Cooper, who's got two titles, which sort of gives you that one up in Super Mario, right? Like, okay, I guess he was right. I'll keep listening to him. Um but, you know, he sort of said, the guys didn't quit on me. They're still trying, but I feel like they need a new voice, a new direction. Um, we can talk about Winnipeg then naming his assistant and whether that's a different voice or a different direction yeah. or not. But what do you make of Paul Maurice just sort of, you know, pulling the chute and going, yeah, it's time for somebody else to do this thing? Yeah, well, and it's funny because so much of the narrative after he, him making that, and it was a bit of a surprise. The team was, I think, 13, 9, and 5. Yeah. When he uh, when he resigned, um, you know, people saying there was sort of two camps. You know, he's walking away. He's 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 walking out on his guys. That was sort of the one camp, and the mm-hmm. other camp was kind of um, how noble, yep. right, of this guy to go. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'm going to put team first, and and say they I, need I, yeah. They need a new voice. So these were the two camps. Right? There's, a, there's a third camp the, that, the, the that third I might camp. fall in. Well, the third camp, which I fall in as yeah. well, in my opinion, and maybe there's a fourth camp because it may be different than yours. <laughs> but to me, it was Chipman and Shovel Day Off were going to make this move anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And said to him, hey, man. If you'd like to do this your way. Now would be a good time. <laughs> yeah, because you may be running out of rope here. Right. And so to me, when you listen to... Uh, I can't remember if it was Chipman or Shovel Day Off when they asked him directly, you know, were you going to let Paul go? And he didn't say no. No. And he didn't say yes. When Shovel Day Off spoke, he made it sound far more mutual than what Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice painted this very much. And maybe, look, I, everybody that I keep reading and, and hearing from says that Paul Maurice is a maybe the guy that would consider doing this. But he's also a great quote. He gives a tons of time to the media. So they're all going to do him a favor and paint this as positively yep. as they can. But he painted this very much as I decided it was time. I know these guys as well as anyone. Yeah. Kevin Shevel day off when he came out afterwards to me, that sounded way more like, Correct. yeah, as a group, we decided it was time for him to go. Yeah. That this that this was and if he wasn't work. willing, we may have probably done it anyway. Well, and and it's funny because to me, it's it's one of those things where you know he was asked, "Are the guys not listening to you anymore?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, they're totally listening." Mm-hmm. And, and and when they asked again, shovel day off, Chipman, I can't remember which one it was. He said, "Yeah, no, they're still listening, but I'm not sure they're hearing." Yeah, it's a big difference. And so to me, that's like, I'm going to, ch- I'm going to channel my inner Wesley Snipes from white men can't jump. You know, <laughs> white people can listen to Jimmy, but they can't necessarily hear Jimmy. <laughs> right. And so to me, that is, that's the deal. And, and so to me, this is a decision made from above and, and it's fine. If you, if you take Paul Maurice's statement and it was a great little press presser he had. Yep. He's always um, been a well-spoken guy and thoughtful yeah. and. And if you take that in a vacuum, you're like, yeah, all makes great sense. But then when you add in the rest of it and you're like, yeah, okay, he was going to get canned. Yeah. And that's my, that's my opinion. 100%. And, and I don't disagree with it. 
to me, if there was ever a position to double back to something you said earlier about naming Dave Lowry, you know, you're hoping for a little bump, and I think they've lost two since yep. since Lowry's taken over. That's what we call the Mike Yo bump. <laughs> the opposite um, of that new coach bounce. <laughs> this is it, right? They, they didn't get any of that in, in Philly. Now they're they're doing okay, you know, points in a, in a bunch, but they they did not. They hit the skids or continued yeah. on the skids, and so it's 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 the opposite of the um, the Bruce Boudreaux. Were they six in a row or seven in a row or something in Vancouver? They're killing it. Yes, exactly. And so um, it's 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 weird. And and I thought, and again, I I I was on this show a couple of weeks ago or even more saying, you know, that Florida situation is 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 tailor made for Claude Julian. Is is I gotta tell you, as a team that wants to win right now and has nice pieces in place in Mm -hmm. Winnipeg. Man, if you need a coach who has a little bit of a defensive structure mm-hmm. backbone, right? That that's what he comes at it with. You know, you parachute Claude in there. Now, again, Claude's making five schmill per. Headed off to the Spangler Cup here, and, and, and is hanging out in Russia now, and then to the Spangler. And you're like, uh, I don't know if Claude really wants to. You know how how could Winnipeg sweeten the pot? But well, they did come out and say Lowry will finish the season, I, which is ridiculous. It is a mistake. Because to me, that is that is the deal. You're now looking at a first time NHL head coach, and and I think, I think Lowry has has all kinds of pedigree. Mm-hmm. You know, as a player, as a junior coach, as a as a, a, a tenured sort of assistant coach. Yep. But you are now still looking for the the guy who's been in the room for all this time, and unless unless Lowry and and Maurice were at odds, and the, and the and the team knew it. You know, maybe there's something there, but I haven't heard that. No. And and if if it's you're just bringing in a, a slightly different message from the guy who you worked with for the last X number of years, I, I don't. I think it's a, I it's think it's a different a, guy saying the same shit. This is it. Which is why when you look at at um, the change in Chicago, the change in or for sure the change in Vancouver, when yes. you bring in the brand new guy versus Mike Yo taking over in in you're like. Yeah, that is the same. You're you're essentially working with the same staff. Especially if you want to believe Paul Maurice. Like, if you do believe Paul Maurice that this was his choice, and this is one of the reasons I think there's evidence to suggest that this wasn't his decision, is because clearly management doesn't agree with him. But if you believe him, they need to hear something new. You don't just plop in the guy who's been working with them for, I don't know, a couple of years now anyway, and delivering sure. that same message. You... As you said, you need to go out and get a Julian or it doesn't matter. Somebody knew that they haven't been hearing. They've been hearing from Dave Lowry as well. And so that's the part, maybe more than anything else, that makes me believe that this was coming no matter what with Paul Maurice from the organization because they didn't necessarily agree that the team needs a new direction. The team just needs no more you. (laughs) It's really what they've done here because they just plopped in his closest associate. And and it's 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 totally odd, right? And and if you wanted the option of bringing in, how about bringing in Tortorella? I'm sure. Sure. Pierre Luc Dubois would. Like oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Dubois would love that. We're like, Trey, we please. Short, we need a short term fix here. Is there a Sutter available? No. <laughs> With Tortorella, you're in, and you're like, oh Christ, this is this is interesting. And and it's funny because somebody on. Um, 
uh, I was listening to somebody out of Winnipeg. I can't remember what his name is. He was talking about you now have Dave Lowry coaching yeah, Adam kid. Lowry. Yeah. Uh, you have Pierre-Luc Dubois' dad is in in scouting. He yep. is, he's involved in the organization. And, and the guy said, yeah, and Nick Ehlers' dad is actually coaching Denmark at the Olympics. If that happens, he's like, you got to find somebody else. Really, if, you, if you want this to be so more dads. Where's Shifley's dad? What's he doing? What's Wheeler's dad doing? Um, it was interesting, really, in terms of how sort of the nepotism that seems to be yeah. going on out there in, in Winnipeg. But Well, they were joking this- on Toronto Sports Radio this week, debating what happens now. Does Adam Lowry's ice time go up or down? And the two hosts were going, when I coached my kid, you know, he had to work harder. He was pushed way down. The other way, I was like, no, I admit it. My kid's getting power play one time and whatever. <laughs> Did you catch the very, very beginning of Hockey Central Saturday on Saturday night at 6.30? Nope. Uh, Ron McLean welcomes us into the broadcast and uh, makes, you know, obviously the biggest hockey nights, the biggest hockey show of the week. And when yep. not everybody's as hardcore as, as people who listen to this show, but he has to let everybody know. He goes, uh, by the way, um, and it was just the way he phrased it. He goes, Leafs and Canucks have been postponed. The uh, Canadians have been postponed, so it's just the Senators and Flyers tonight. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. What is that sound? That's TV <laughs> snapping off across the country. And he sort of, so there's that. And he goes, so, and again, it was just the phrasing. It's just the Senators and Flyers tonight across the primetime window. And he kind of talks about the game briefly, and then he circles back and goes, but trust me, it's going to be good. Like, he's trying to talk you into stand. Like, yeah. Oh, what did I just do there? Uh, yeah. Oh, it was terrific, man, to just see, like, the... I, I, I just, as a Leaf guy, it's funny, right? To see, yeah. obviously, this well, is what it, we're left with. <laughs> and what, he's, what he meant was, you had three options yeah. tonight. You now yep. only have one. But no, I certainly but get it. But it's going to be good. Don't trust yeah. me. Don't turn no, the no, channel. I, <laughs> no, I certainly get that what it comes across is, hey, if you were looking for a, you know, uh, a you Habs game, yeah. or you're looking for a Leafs-Canucks game, well, guess what? Right. No! <laughs> Sends flyers. That's all you get. <laughs> It's gruel again. And and so, um, yeah, Ron, I think it's time for Ron to see a Ron. I think it's time for Ron to. He's getting less and less popular every week, it seems, online to be. And it, even when the, on both sides of whatever your political debate, like the people who still love Don Cherry, they hate Ron for the speech he gave the next week and the fact that he hung around, like they, they all maintain he threw Don under the bus, right? And, and didn't stand beside him. Um, so there's that group. And then, you know, the, the now, you know, Ron's messed up a couple of times with his phrasing on a few things and, and whatever that have the other side all mad as well. I do think his time is probably, uh, you know, coming to an end. I still don't think he's doing a terrible job by any means, but it might be, it might be just about that time. And even maybe if, maybe it's just moving him back. I think he's good with the, the hometown hockey shtick, right? Whenever yeah, we can get back sure. to doing that, you know, here's the story of so-and-so out in rural Manitoba or whatever. Yep. He's good at that stuff, right? And, 100%. Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's he tries too hard for the, you know, the, the Stephen Bunting moment every time. Michael right? Bunting. Michael Bunting. Yeah. I, I'm like, is Meet Steve Brunt. Stephen Brunt. And it's Stephen Brunt. Because honestly, I'm like, 
Is it even bunting? No, it's <laughs> You're not looking even for Stephen bunting. Brunt. Okay. I was looking for Stephen Brunt. Thank you for that. <laughs> but he's looking for that moment every time. And it's just, it's, 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 it always seems like too much of a stretch. Right. And so just Ron, just sometimes just let it go. And I agree with you 100%, man. Do the hometown hockey. It, he's awesome in that role. Yeah. So it's been an interesting few days, and it does tie in to Ottawa. And we'll sort of, as we work through this, kind of pepper that part into it. But there was a just a guy who who does kind of uh, his name's Jay Fresh on Twitter, and he does uh, like really good, um, usually analytics based. But you know, after trades or free agent signings or whatever, he'll like his tweet will be very much so and so is a high end offensive producer who is terrible in his own end. And then there's a bunch of stats to back it up, but the tweet itself is just, here's what you're getting kind of thing, right? Um, He talks about a guy like Riley Nash. I remember when he was traded to Toronto and he goes, Riley Nash is a terrible offensive contributor who is very good in his own end. Essentially, nothing happens when Riley Nash is on the ice. And then again, here's the statistical breakdown. So he puts out a thing this week because he's getting uh, a pile of, uh, of feedback on a bunch of things that he's posted on a few teams prospects because we're headed into world juniors and Scott Wheeler ends up in this, involved in this, who writes prospect reports for the athletic and the Ottawa fan base has often not liked his work. Sometimes I think that's fair. Sometimes I don't. Um, but that was part of what brought this up was Scott Wheeler kind of said the senator's fan base is a more irritating fan base than people give it credit for. So he starts this, uh, Jay Fresh starts this list of different categories that are most annoying fan base in the league, fan base that acknowledges its own irritants the most, right? Like, yeah, it's probably us. Uh, Fan base that is most delusional, little things like this. And the Leafs, not surprisingly, find themselves pretty high. We've sort of had this conversation before. Number one, Matt. Yes, on a bunch of these lists, right? Um, There was, I think, five or six different categories. The Leafs, I do think, like anything else, you know, have a significantly high proportion of irritating fans. Um, But there's also the sheer volume that becomes a problem, right? Ian Mendez put out, sort of in acknowledging this thread or this that this is going on, he goes, I believe 20% of any fan base is ridiculous and 80% is rational. I believe Ian's numbers are a bit off, but yeah, if we stick to that, it just means this much larger Toronto fan base, that 20% is gigantic, right? So right. there's a bunch of that going on. You looked at the categories, you've seen them, and we will share the the tweets on our Twitter at Talkian Audio if you want to check those out just to see how people voted. Um, which ones jumped out to you, you know... Uh, Toronto is annoying. Toronto is not annoying. Whatever you want to do, but just even second, third place, which fan bases were you surprised by? Which categories stood out to you? What do you think of the thing? Well, and, and it's funny because I did the survey. Yeah. Um, and I had Toronto as number one, most annoying. Uh-huh. And I had Habs fans as number two, most annoying, yeah. which ching, ching, that yeah. is how it goes. Yeah. Um, it's the third one that that's interesting. And and I think what it comes down to is a, it's the, it's the proximity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, which it comes down to, and the and the plethora of Habs and Leafs fans in this market, in right? In the so, city, yes. So this is a built-in irritancy, and we are the littlest brother of those three, right? Of yep. a couple of big brothers. Yep. And and so that's a natural for me, and it's also 
to find the Bruins come in third, I think short of the Rangers, are those not the sort of the biggest fan bases? Would you not suggest? I I had an interesting. T- I do. I think anything original. I think Detroit and Chicago would be in that mix as well, just because, like you said, they're the oldest and they're in traditional markets. I wonder. Uh, I didn't vote in any of these, but when I looked at Boston, I wondered how many Leaf fans voted. Yeah. Did Boston get an extra fuck those guys? Because again, the sheer number of Leaf fans who would have voted that maybe would have skewed that. I do think there's a ton of stuff that happens on on hockey Twitter where the Bruins are like, that's dirty. You can't do that. And the rest of hockey was like, you of all people need to shut the fuck yeah. up. You and your Jack yeah. Edwards and your Brad Marchand and your, yeah. get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, but I wondered if the Bruins got a bump from and Leafs and Habs, frankly, that hate the Bruins, right? That, well, and it's interesting because the third, for the third franchise, and you're like, man, you're getting down, right? To me, I could choose Oilers fans or Canucks fans. Canucks are just, high always, yeah. They're just irritating, Yeah. right? They're always... Like Oilers fans think that, you know, they won four cups, five cups in the eighties that, that they know more, right? right? That, that you have somehow, they're like Habs fan, super, super light, right? Like no, like no fat Habs fans, really, if you want to look at it, right? <laughs> um, and Canucks fans whining, like you're just whiny, yeah. like you've never won shit and, and just shut up, take your bland colors. And stay out west, just and stay quiet. Right. For me, for me, I chose as my third most annoying fan base, Pittsburgh Penguins. Really? And and and, and hear me out. Yep. And and it really comes down to um Pittsburgh to me was the was the epitome of teams that have won something recently that that draws a bunch of borderline fans to it. Everyone mm-hmm. loves a winner, right? I don't yep. really have a team. I'm a Hawks fan. Yep. I'm a Penguins fan, right? And I'm an Avalanche fan. Like watching watching, Col- in the capital. watching Colorado come through Ottawa a couple of weeks ago and you're like, how is there possibly that many Avalanche fans in the Ottawa area? Right. And it's front runners, right? So Pittsburgh to me was the team that I selected hmm. to represent that front running fan base that is annoying, that shows up in your building. And you're like, screw you, man. <laughs> How do we have 5,000 Penguin fans in the building tonight? Now that says more about Ottawa. Sure. Well, but- and it's partly, I think we're going to see more of that in the, you know, this sounds so unhip, the internet age, right? Cause this happened a ton in Toronto. The Leafs were awful for over a decade as the internet was getting big and as it became easy to watch guys on YouTube and kids, there was a bunch of articles written, a lost generation of Leaf fans who just went, no, fuck this team. They're terrible. I love Crosby or I love Ovechkin or whatever it might be. And there are Penguins jerseys to this day litter the the Air Canada Center when those guys come to town. That's an internet thing, I think, as much as anything, right? Well, and and again, people love... A front and, and runner. If, yeah, and if you want to come at me with, well, those are really Nordique fans when the avalanche <laughs> rolls through, right? And you're like, yeah, okay, and you're a Sackett guy or you're a McKinnon guy. Maybe you know? in 98. And you have these big, yeah, and Joe Joe was tarnished for me a bit when I the avalanche rolled through and I was at a, I've seen a couple of avalanche games live and Joe was named a star and he doesn't come out for the three stars. Uh-huh. Like, come on, man, you're in a Canadian market. 
You can't even give us that. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, to me, it's it's that. It's that front-running fan base that that I sort of go, bah, hate you. Hate and so, you. Yeah, not not too strong. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Spot on. Um, <laughs> and, and it's funny because when it talked about who is the least annoying fan, I'm like, really? Least annoying fan base? Probably Arizona. That's what I said. <laughs> I said Arizona because there is none. <laughs> They really don't. I don't hear much from the Arizona fans. Yeah, you can't annoy me if you don't exist. Right. So, yeah, that's actually where I went with that. So, funny. For me, when I looked at it and I went through some of the articles, there was two. I had Toronto 1 and Ottawa 2 in the category, honestly, of most delusional. Yeah. Well, it's Habs fans for me, most delusional. Could be. And and we can look at that. Like Habs fans to me bug me in a sense that A, they still think this is nineteen seventy-three and, and yeah. they're still the the class of the league and whatever. And um but also even just watching games, like you can't hit any Montreal Canadians player in Montreal without Ah, oh, come on, boo, boo. Like yeah. I yeah. know that happens in all arenas, but not like it does in Montreal, right? Any hit on a hab is is what but someone underneath my reply as it pertains to delusional did a search and it's, it's not scientific at all, but just searched the term hashtag Leafs and then the word elite and then hashtag sends and then the word elite and under the, t- despite the difference in sends and Leafs fans, you know, fan base sizes, that search yielded more under the sends hashtag than it did under the Leafs hashtag. And it's things like, you know, guard, um, Jake Sanderson is an elite puck mover and, and things like that. And he might be he, but sends fans right now have to believe that every prospect is going to pan out because if they don't, there's going to be a problem where the Leafs, I don't know if the Leafs are an elite team right now, but I understand when I find William Nylander is an elite puck carrier or a whatever, right? Like it's a different sort, but the, just the numbers came up more for the sends. And to me, that part was a bit delusional. And I anecdotally, I've always, not always, but recently I've felt, you know, even this year we've talked about whether the sends were going to turn the corner this year and how far up the thing I, I've felt like it, they're going to be good, but this year was a bit soon like a bit optimistic and yeah yeah so to me that was interesting to see most delusional when i you know kind of looked at that I, I had ottawa high there one of the things that's interesting about the the leaf fan base um being voted most annoying here in ottawa i debated with a guy and he was actually pretty reasonable about it he said the problem he goes i assume most leaf fans down in toronto are fine they don't bug me the leaf fans here in ottawa bug me because he's an ottawa resident <laughs> I go, I kind of get that. I said, but I got to tell you, as far as people who go to games, I think the Leaf fan who lives here in Ottawa is far more, he's going to go, he's probably still going to have his beers, he's whatever. But when I go out there, I wonder if I'm going to run into somebody I know or like how many people when they go in their Leaf jersey might run into a coworker or a colleague. Whereas if you live in Toronto and come up here because it used to be cheaper or it's a weekend away with the boys, it's a party weekend. There's no consequences. You don't recognize, you Anybody. know, right. I think you can get away with some stuff. So even just debating which Leaf fans here in Ottawa are more irritating. 
I don't know. It's gotten less and less so because Ottawa's moved to that dynamic pricing where the Leaf games are more expensive. But for a long time, it was cheaper to drive (laughs) here, get a hotel room, see the game and go home than it was to just get tickets in Toronto. And so I think Leaf fans who do have a bad reputation at the arena, to me, that was always more traveling fans than local fans. It's it's not a perfect line to draw, but... Right. That is that is anecdotal, but it is as good as anything we have here. Um, and it's funny because to me, um, I did choose Leaf fan over over Hab fan uh, in terms of annoying. Like the Hab fan shows up and they like to sing, they like to do their ole, and they <laughs> but they're really happy either way, right? Uh, to me, the delusional part comes down to is, and I've said it to you before. Right, a leaf fan is it's like a dog. You can't blame a dog if he shits on the carpet. That's your leaf fan, right? He's just gonna do whatever. The first time all- Rob gave me this analogy, I was at his house and I haven't been invited back since. <laughs> <laughs> and and it sort of comes down to he sort of is the Chicago Cubs fan of the HL. He loves his team and he supports it regardless. Lovable loser, bad things are gonna happen to me. Whereas the Hab fan. They sort of lay super low when things are not going well. You never hear from them. I hate that. Okay, this is what I'm saying. And so in terms of the delusional part, as soon as there's even a flicker, flicker, they're like, woo! (laughs) Can you believe this team? It is so good. And and, and there's a bunch of people, media included, some in the media, Mm -hmm. who felt like this team off of the cup run last year was going to turn around. The Habs, yeah. Yeah, Habs fans. And you go... No, man, for so many reasons, you knew that this wasn't going to happen. And we both said that on this show mm-hmm. before the season started. And it's been, now it's been biblically bad. Yes. It's been worse than anybody anticipated, but nobody expected this team to make another cup run on this podcast. What? And so, but to me, the Habs fans who, who thought we're doing it, right. they are, to me, they are delusional. A Leaf fan is a pessimist through and through whereas a hab fan is a is an absolute delusional optimist one of the things that was interesting to me yeah was watching leaf fans be voted by the rest of the league as the most annoying but also like within the fan base also finish at the top like we get it yes we're annoying <laughs> right but one of the things you mentioned the cubs and there was a pile of of replies and and one that summed it up really succinctly i remember that was like leaf fans are different than cubs fans like the Cubs became nationwide, despite being a big spending franchise and whatever. They hadn't won in forever, and when they finally did, and even when they had their chances to, a lot of other fans went, that's kind of cool. Like, good for them. That's a fun story. Happy to see the Cubs. That will not happen to the Leafs. The Leafs are not the Cubs in, in that sense to me. Like, people will hate them through and through to the end, and it's, I don't know the... I don't know what causes that other than the fans versus the franchises you'd have to think. Yeah, but I, I think it's I think it's the 55 years versus the 103 years. You think if I can hang tough for another yeah, 35, for, 40 yeah. years, people will get thinking, on my side? I'm, I'm thinking an 85-year-old Matt <laughs> may get a little love. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But well, it, it'll be I, about time. Yes. <laughs> Shampoo a moose, you say. Um, it, it comes down to, I'm sure if you asked people in St. Louis, like Cardinals fans, right. they did not care. 
for a Cubs win. Right. right. Like, yeah. I, I think that's not shared. That's shared maybe across the country. Maybe you get to be now your rivals never, no. never want to see that happen. And so, but I, I, the point is well made. Yeah. Right. That no, I don't want to see, but I also don't want to see the Canucks win. Right. I also really don't want to see the Oilers win. And, and it's funny because when it came down to who is the least annoying fan base, there, there was the, but Winnipeg sort of comes into it where you're like, I got no real, I got no ax to grind. I don't know. They're, they're against the Jets. I think if we'd have done this same survey, maybe we did. Like we have had a similar conversations before, before the Canadian division last year, like yeah, where yeah. Neil Pionk is running Mitch Marner over after an empty net goal and then kneeing whatever, and then Spezza's suspension on on him. Right? Damn like, you, Neil Pionk. <laughs> If I've said it once, yeah, I've said it. Fuck me, yeah, it's. Uh, I I don't know. The Jets are. Uh, I I was happy when they got their team back, but after that, I was just like, all right, now you're just another, whatever. I don't care about. Well, you. and and I'm sure Hab fans have that whole Jake Evans, Mark Shifley, yep. incident. The incident. Right? Yeah, so I, I, I'm <laughs> he just sure skates that, 180 feet and blows. Well, and off. it's funny, 180 <laughs> was the number I had in my head too, yeah. but I thought we covered that. You know, but ah, there it is. Whatever. Prove me wrong. Uh, what did you think? Because to me, if just, to, you know, before we kind of wind this down, let me land on the sense thing only because it was funny. Did you see? I know you normally fast forward the game. Did you see uh, Kevin BX's thoughts on Thomas Shabbat on Saturday night? I did not. Now, was that pregame or first intermission? First intermission. I, um, yeah, no, I didn't. It had, and this is why it's interesting, and it takes a little bit of the sting out of I'll drop the audio in here for the good listener. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a positive guy. We all know that, but wow, was that a bad period. And I only wrote down the first six bad things that I saw Shabbat do. And I understand I'm not the biggest uh, Ottawa Senator player. Like, I don't watch all their games, but this is the first shift of the game. Holds the line poorly. This is a two-on-one the other way. Okay, well, that's one mistake. It happens. But he follows it up with falling for no reason, a lazy box that's almost tipped in, icing the puck, tips the puck in his own net, dangled by Drew. I mean, this is your guy who's your star player, and he's making six mistakes that I recorded, that I documented in one period. And you have Bernard Docker, who's playing his eighth NHL game, who's watching this guy. And I just can't understand how you can either be the best player on the ice or the worst player on the ice every game. And if I'm a coach, I don't sleep very good at night. And this is the problem. You see him make this play at the end, and you're like, wow, you almost scored. And that makes you forget about all the bad plays that he made. And again, I hate being negative, guys. And Kelly, I'll pass it to you because you're you're way more positive than me. But that was a bad period for him. There's no question about it. But this was interesting to me because it was most of Saturday where everyone was piling on Scott Wheeler, whose point was... When you, when I say something negative about a Sens prospect, nobody, you know, about anybody's prospect, nobody responds more harshly than Senators fans. And his thing was they have a cult-like devotion to their um, draft and development team. What's his name? Man. Uh, Trent Mann. Trent Mann. And he's, there, there's a weird thing there. And he goes, when you're rebuilding, obviously, you're going to be defensive about your prospects and your whatever. Because Sens fans are the most annoying. This is uh, before yeah. the Hockey Night in Canada game. When it comes to 
when I say some prospect maybe isn't as good as the fan base thinks. And Sens fans went nuts on Twitter. We don't do that. We're not soft, but we are, the whole Sens sicko movement is based on acknowledging that we're terrible and this and that. And then it sort of calms down. And then Kevin Bieksa, during the first intermission, comes out and says, that is a terrible first period for Thomas Shabbat. He's made six mistakes. I've written the first six mistakes down here. And as he's running through them, they're showing video of those six mistakes. So he's not just shooting from the hip. He's showing you what he thinks. He does not say terrible defenseman having a terrible season. Doesn't say wildly inconsistent. Goes, that's a terrible period. And... All of a sudden, my Twitter timeline burns to the ground on, oh, yeah, like, you've never watched us once because we're never on the national broadcast, and now all of a sudden, Shabbat's terrible, and you don't know anything, and the national media watches one game, and now they're ripping the guy. He says right at the front, he goes, I haven't seen that many Senators games, but here's what I thought of this period. And then, like I said, backs it up with video. And so to see on the heels of Scott Wheeler saying, you might be a little trigger happy having everyone go, no, we're not. And then six hours later, one. And the part that's ironic to me, man, and I'm going to hand this to you, even though I know you didn't see it, but I'm the guy who has to sit there every Saturday night knowing the Sens have played at 2 p.m. on TSN 5 in some regional thing. And the Leafs are about to get pumped by Pittsburgh 8-1. Or we're about to lose to an AHL Zamboni driver. And sends Twitter loving the spotlight being over there. We can all tee off. And while you're calling out for wanting to be the national game, meaning all of a sudden these guys are now focused on you, one comment about your guy on one period of play Fuck Kevin B. When we started this show at 1.30 p.m. today, he was still trending today on Sunday afternoon. Kevin Bx is still trending in, in Ottawa on Twitter. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't agree with everything Kevin Bx says. No. That's uh, the I point. Do, I know. But I, <laughs> but I know. But I do find him very good. At, at that at that job, and Thomas Shabbat did not have a good first period. The whole team, they, hey, it was almost fifteen minutes before they got a shot. Yeah, yeah. like he is not the only guy. No, so, so no, I, and I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not throwing this back at you. I, I'm saying what I did hear was, and and I I think um, Hannah Ryan saying or. Or Greg Millen, he's uh, Greg Millen. Greg Millen's still hanging around, man. Man, I thought, wow, where, where are the, what's happened here? Am I on a time warp? Is this on Molestar? We, what, what's a, um, anyways, they they referred back to comments made by the panel in, in mm-hmm. the first intermission, saying, you know, who terrible first, you know, and and it was, yeah, it was it was garbage. So he's not wrong. He's not wrong, and and you look at it, that top line. Equally, pair him right with Shabbat, right? Yeah. They got benched in the third, right? Two different times, that top line with Shabbat and JBD right. hammed in their own zone. One led to a goal, one led to a penalty drawn, right? right? And and you're like, and DJ was like, you guys, all the, press you, guys, all the press you guys have been getting, you know, about elite top line, you know, you're cheating for points. You're on the wrong side of the puck. Blah, blah, sit down. Yep. And again, Shabbat, since we talked about it last week, 
had a great week. Yep. Like a, a, a really good week. But well, so he had a, Ian he had Mendez. A night, he had a bad night last night. Well, so sure. Mendez tweets out, uh, first of all, on the broadcast, when BX is done talking, he finishes up with Kelly Rudy. Go, uh, he, BX says, I'm really, I try to be positive, but that was not a good period. I'm going to hand it to you, Kelly Rudy, because you're known to be a positive, a more <laughs> positive guy than me, but that was not a good period for him. And Rudy's first comment as he's taking the handoff goes, absolutely it wasn't. So he agreed. And all it was, not a good period. Ian Mendez yeah. tweets after that intermission, all Sens fans know that was not, that period was not indicative of the season that Thomas Shabbat is having. So it's rough to see it get broken down like that on national television. So again, he's acknowledged that that wasn't a, a good period for Shabbat because it right. wasn't indicative. So why is it just Bieksa? I guess because yeah. he's the one who took the run. Everyone is willing to go. It's twenty minutes, but yeah. that happens on the national broadcast, man. When you want the spotlight on you, when you want to be in the, and and this is what you said is. And so what Ian is talking about is, it's a shame. Yeah, it is because you never get the spotlight, and then bam, you're there, and now everyone's looking like, yeah, well, what's all this talk about? Right. That and didn't look left, so good. After twenty minutes, you're like, what's all this talk about? Right. Yeah, I just I, to me it, it's it's all fine and dandy when it's super, the halves super sensitive or, man, yeah, super little bit, sensitive, little bit thin, thin skinned here. I totally, I I believe it. I agree with it one hundred percent. Anything else for this one, man? Not a thing, Matt. Yeah. All right. That's a good show, though. I agree. Lots of lots of, lots of stuff happening here. Final thoughts there on the uh, the common good, the uh, the solace. Um, it, at this point in the show, it needs to be colder. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm just finishing it up now and I'm like, mm, it's got a bit of that sort of gets that little sort of acidic taste when a beer gets down in terms of the temperature and it's down to the end of the can. Yeah. Eh, but it was good. It was good at the top. And if it was ice cold, not bad. Uh, that is it for your Monday morning podcast. Uh, the final week before the holidays, we're not going to disappear on you. We always keep the good stuff coming through the holiday season. So stick around for that. Uh, don't forget Wednesday morning, Paul Romanuk will be back on the podcast. We will talk about some classic world junior championships as he was the guy who called most of those, uh, the voice that you'll remember from all those broadcasts, uh, Friday morning, the 2021 TCA World Junior Hockey Championship preview show as we look ahead to this year's event. That is a Christmas Eve tradition that we do every year here on Tall Can Audio. We're looking forward to that again. And of course, next Monday, December 27th, the 2021 TCA Brew Marsh Awards Canadian Athlete of the Year as determined by and over Canadian Craft Pints. Uh, Canadian Brewery of the Year, Canadian Beer of the Year, and of course, Canadian Athlete of the Year. Michaela Schreider and Chris Hoffley will join me for those. And our TCA New Year's Eve Spectacular will drop, obviously, on New Year's Eve. That'll be Friday morning. Maddie Lang will be here to do that. We will look back at everything non-sports across the uh, the calendar year of 2021. Stick around for all of those. We look forward to having you with us for those. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. We will see you all next time. See ya! What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber 
for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app. Hi.